as she just read. You can stay there for just a moment, and we'll come back to it here in a minute uh, to talk a little bit more about it. Anybody know who Charlie Chaplin was? Everybody knows who Charlie Chaplin was, don't you? You know, certainly a, a, music, a movie star in the early days, and he was a huge movie star in the silent picture era, as most of you probably know. And one of the byproducts of his popularity were the look-alike contests that sprung up around the country. Contestants attempted to imitate Chaplin dressed as the tramp character he made popular in his films. Even the young up-and-coming actor Bob Hope entered such a contest in Cleveland, Ohio, and he won. Legends have sprung up that Chaplin himself took part in one contest. Steve Chandler, in his book 100 Ways to Motivate Yourself, says Chaplin was on holiday in Monaco when he decided to enter a Chaplin look-alike contest. Others cite the incident as taking place in Switzerland. Although the event has been embellished through the years, it did occur. Chaplin entered a look-alike contest in a San Francisco theater. Amazingly, Chaplin failed to even make the finals. <laughs> in a similar way, sometimes we do not recognize the truth about God when it is staring us in the face. We are called to imitate God, as Victoria just fabulously read to us. And... It has been my prayer for myself and my family that we imitate God as the Bible tells us to do in Ephesians 5.1. So my theme and application is today, pray that we and our descendants imitate God. Now as we look at that, you've got to think, how do we imitate God? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that. But let me get ahead of the game a little. We imitate God by imitating Jesus. And Jesus came full of grace and truth. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. He came full of grace and truth. So we need to pray that we imitate God, and we need to pray that we are full of grace and truth. Now, how do we know if we are imitating God? I'm glad you asked. We're going to get into that, and I think we can check ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. First, imitate God. Let's talk about that. Imitate God. Ephesians 5.1 says that. Uh, be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, last fall I preached on the broader section of that passage. So today I just want to talk about the main phrase, imitate God. Because ever since I preached on that, actually some 12 years ago... It stuck out in my mind as a prayer that we can pray that passage of Scripture that we imitate God as well. Notice that we are to imitate God. We're not to imitate other people. We're not to imitate other people. Nothing wrong with certain other people. We can have heroes in this life and people we look up to. But this Scripture passage is not saying to imitate another person. It is saying imitate God himself. A.W. Tozer shared the following. He said, Christian literature to be accepted and approved by evangelical leaders of our times, must follow very closely the same chain of thought, a kind of party line from which it is scarcely safe to depart. 
A half century of this in America has made us smug in content. So just stop right there. The, the, the quote goes on, and I'll finish it in a minute. But A.W. Tozer, right then and there in the 1950s or so, was diagnosing a cultural norm in Bible-believing churches. That even they would have to follow this party line. Even they would have to imitate each other instead of imitating God. Even they had to write in a certain way and speak in a certain way and do a certain thing. And I would dare say that things have not changed that much. It's still out there. Tozer continues. We imitate each other with slavish devotion. Our most strenuous efforts are put forth to try to say the same thing that everyone around us is saying. And yet to find an excuse for saying it. Some little safe variation on the approved theme, or if no more, at least a new illustration. Toes was diagnosing a, a common trend in the church to imitate each other, but we are called to imitate God, not imitate others. The question must be asked, though, how? How do we imitate God? A few months ago, I talked about that with respect to this broader passage. And I said that a key to imitating God is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that I still agree. That I still believe. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we cannot imitate God without trying to unwrap the Holy Spirit's presence in our life and let Him loose. We cannot have the fruit of the Holy Spirit without having the Holy Spirit within us. We cannot be full of grace and truth on our own. We are not called to live the Christian life on our own. We are called to live the Christian life by God's power through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And then we can imitate God. Let's talk more about that. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 and Hebrews 1.3 both say that. Jesus told Thomas in John 14, You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So imitating God means imitating Jesus. What does it look like to imitate Jesus? I want to say we must be full of grace and truth. We must be full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14 is on the screen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh, that is Jesus. Jesus took on flesh and blood. And Jesus chose to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus was and is fully human and fully God. And he came full of grace and full of truth. Grace is a free gift. Grace is a free gift. We cannot earn our salvation. I've said it before. If we could earn our salvation, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. Then the cross, the crucifixion, would be totally and completely and entirely in vain because we could earn it. Instead, Jesus gives us his grace. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. Randy Alcorn, I have this on the screen. Randy Alcorn writes in his book, The Grace and Truth Paradox. He says, During a British conference on comparative religions, scholars debated what belief, if any, was totally unique to the Christian faith. Incarnation, 
The gods of other religions appeared in human form. Resurrection, other religions tell of those returning from the dead as well. The debate went on until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. The scholars posed the question to him. That's easy, Lewis replied. It, it, it's grace. Grace is what separates Christianity from other religions. The quote continues. Our Babel-building pride insists that we must work our way to God. Only the Christian faith presents God's grace as unconditional. Unconditional. People say all religions are basically the same. Well, imagine a geometry or French teacher who said to his students, it doesn't matter what answers you give on the test. All answers are basically the same. It's all relative. Hinduism's gods are many and impersonal. Christianity's God is one and personal. Buddhism offers no forgiveness or divine intervention. In Judaism and Islam, men earn righteous status before God through doing good works. In Christianity, men gain righteousness only by confessing their unrighteousness and being covered by Christ's merit. This is key. Every other religion is a man working his way to God. Christianity is God working his way to man. And we praise God for that, don't we? Amen? Amen. Christianity is God working his way to man. It's about God's grace. And that is grace and salvation. But I, I do believe when we talk about grace and we talk about Jesus being full of grace and full of truth, there's more to it. The grace that Jesus had was not just about a free gift of eternal life. Though that would be enough. Grace is any good gift. Grace is forgiving someone who did something wrong to you. Grace is giving someone a second chance. Grace is giving someone a first chance. We must give people grace in our daily lives. I have one more story to illustrate grace. It comes from a book by Brian Tome, and it's titled Free Book. But it's not really free, just so you know. Uh, Brian Tome writes... Andre is a 20-something African-American who was recently hired for his first promising job. After making it through an impoverished and difficult inner-city upbringing, he enrolled in a mentoring program to help him find and retain a well-paying career. Tom writes, Now, if you purchase this in a bookstore, you may have no idea why a young man would need to learn how to find and retain employment. Just get a job! is a simplistic mantra of people who don't understand guys and girls like Andre. But when you have never had parental involvement and have lived in four different, four different foster homes growing up, you miss out on learning basic life skills that some of us take for granted. Many of Andre's role models' only income was from the social service check they got from being a, uh, for being a foster parent. Andre was never encouraged, never encouraged to learn and never watched a man develop a skill. He'd never seen a man get up early and come home at the end of the day for five days a week. He never experienced a strong work ethic leading to a better job with more money and better benefits. He rarely saw anyone graduate. Andre needed grace. He needed somebody to come alongside him and mentor him. 
In this case, Brian Tome writes about that. That is imitating God. It's being grace to somebody. It's being full of grace and full of truth. Andre needed a job. He needed a mentor to help him. He needed grace. But we also need truth. Jesus is and was full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is and was fully grace and fully truth. Not 50%, 50%. 100%, 100%. God and man, full of grace and full of truth. Truth is God's word. Truth is integrity. In truth, your actions and your words reflect what your inner being is. But there is also ultimate truth. And that is from the Bible. Ultimate, total, complete truth comes from the Bible. Randy Alcorn compares truth to gravity in his book, The Grace and Truth Paradox. Whether we like it or not, gravity is here. You can question it. You can say you don't agree with gravity. But no matter what, it it is here. And no matter whether you believe in gravity or not, guess what? If you fall down, you're going to fall down. If you... Don't walk, you're going to fall. Gravity is here, and it's here to stay. It's amazing how we question truth, and we question ultimate truth all the time. But nobody would be so crazy whether to question gravity. Gravity exists, and exists as it is. Even if you don't agree with it, it is truth. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. And Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, asks that God sets the disciples and us apart, sanctifies them in ultimate truth. The word of God is truth. And I love the word of God. Amen? Do we all love the word of God? Ultimate truth. The Old Testament law is truth. The Ten Commandments are truth. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not uh, bear false witness. Uh, Do not um, commit idolatry. Uh, These are truth. The Bible, Old and New Testament, is truth. 2 Thessalonians 3.8 says, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's truth. It is God's word. It is truth. Alcorn tells a story about truth. Randy Alcorn writes this. He says, Flew across the country to not preach at a church that invited me to preach. After leaving my hotel, I rode with a prominent Christian leader to the church. I knew this man had been accused by the media of misrepresenting certain key details on his resume. So I asked him about the charges. He admitted, get this, he admitted, not Randy Alcorn, the guy who's driving him, He admitted saying and writing some things that were not true, but it didn't seem to bother him. He didn't care about the lies and the lack of integrity. Randy Alcorn writes, I told him calmly that I thought he should repent and publicly ask for forgiveness for his dishonesty. He said nothing, and we rode to the church in silence. A few minutes after we arrived, I was escorted to the office of the senior pastor where we were scheduled to pray before I preached in the service. When I stepped in, the pastor slammed the door behind me. I was surprised to see his face turning scarlet, his veins bulging. He poked his finger at me. No way will I let you preach from my pulpit, he thundered. Then, out of the corner of my eye, 
I saw the man I had just confronted. The pastor told me I had no right to question our brother's integrity. Remember that the brother in question admitted to saying things that were dishonest. The pastor was fully aware of the man's reputation, but thought it none of my business. We left the office, the pastor's still seething. That's truth. Truth is God's word, and we need truth too. We need truth in our lives. We need truth even when it hurts, even when it causes us and challenges us to repent. We need truth. We need grace. We need truth. And that is imitating God. It's imitating Jesus, being full of grace and full of truth. Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15 says. Love must be our motivation. Love must always be our motivation. There are some stats given. 64% of Americans say, I will lie when it suits me as long as it doesn't cause any real damage. 53% say, I will cheat on my spouse, after all, given the chance he or she will do the same. Only 31% of Americans agree that honesty is the best policy. When asked what they will do for $10 million, 25% say they would abandon their family. That's one in four. 23% say they would become prostitutes for a week or more for $10 million. And 7% would murder a stranger. We need truth. We need integrity. And being full of grace and full of truth is imitating God. I believe imitating God means pursuing a life, being full of grace and truth. Truth is not easy. But Jesus was and is full of grace and truth. I have been convicted to pray these passages of Scripture for myself and my children. It's not about my prayers. It's about God's Word, that we are praying that God helps us to imitate Him. That we are praying that God helps us by the Holy Spirit inside us to be full of grace and full of truth, to not compromise there. So how do you know if you're imitating God? I believe you check to see if you have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Memorize that. Pray for that. Pray that passage. Pray that you have the fruit of the Spirit. We can have a sermon on each one of those. Love. How are we doing with love? Joy. How are we doing with joy? Peace. And so on. And we have the fruit of the Spirit. These are evidences of the Holy Spirit within us. And we're all going to fail here and there. But when we have the fruit of the Spirit within us, we are imitating God. We're imitating Jesus. Are you showing more of the fruit of the Spirit now than one year ago? Are you showing more of the fruit of the Spirit now than ten years ago? By the way, it's, it's, it's fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It seems like it's one fruit with many modifiers, so to speak. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Want to hear me say it fast? Um, you know, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we need to walk by the Spirit. So I have an illustration to help you remember this. I have two glasses of water up here. Two glasses of water, and I'm going to kind of sit them here and, and, and think they're going to stay there. We're going to pray, we're going to pray in faith here. And 
I copy this idea from someone else. He writes, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we allow him, we allow the Holy Spirit to occupy and control every area of our lives. How much of you does the Holy Spirit have control of? How much of you does the Holy Spirit have control of? This is Elka-Seltzer. You know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Yeah. It's supposed to fizz, fizz when I drop it in. This one's in the package still. So let's see if it, it, it doesn't do anything in the package. I'll stick it down. It's all the way covered with water, but there's no plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and no relief it is. So this one, I'm going to take it out of the package here, and I'm going to plop it in, and immediately you get the plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. I, remember that commercial? I remember it from TV land. Anyways, so this is what the Holy Spirit should be doing inside of us. Not this, but oftentimes we leave the Holy Spirit wrapped up in a package and we do not unleash his power inside us. We need to unwrap the package and let the Holy Spirit loose. One person writes just that. He says to his students when he's teaching this, he says, both glasses have the Elka-Seltzer. Just as all Christians have the Holy Spirit. But notice how you can have the Holy Spirit and not his total, complete, filling presence. Our goal is to live in such a way as to unwrap the packaging around the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within us. If anybody wants this to drink, let me know. Otherwise, it's going down the drain. It's actually the Alka-Seltzer cold, so... Whoever has the summer cold, just come see me. I haven't drank out of it. We need to imitate Jesus. And to do that, we need to let the Holy Spirit loose in our lives. And how do you do that? And, you know, real quickly, just briefly, how do you do that? How do you let the Holy Spirit loose in your life? You know, you've got to be in the Bible. You've got to be in the Word of God. You cannot live the Christian life with your Bible closed. In early October, late September, I'm going to be starting a discipleship training class that encourages you and holds you accountable to daily devotions and to Bible study. And I shared that with my Sunday school class today and would love to talk to you more about it. You've got to be in the Bible. You've got to be with your church. God does not call us to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And God does not call us to live the Christian life alone. And when I say you have to be with your church, I strongly believe in Sunday school. I strongly believe in midweek Bible study. I strongly believe in other various small groups in Bible studies. We need to be studying the Word of God throughout the week with the community of Christians. We need to be getting into the Word together. We need to be holding each other accountable. We need that. I know a lot of other things take priority. And I know it's not easy. I know you have other things to balance. But let God be number one. And then let him help you put the other things in place. Let Jesus be number one. We need the word of God. We need the church of Jesus Christ. We need to let the Holy Spirit reign in our lives. Don't leave him in the package. So do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you committed to him?
as Lord and as Savior? Have you made him number one in your life? Have you confessed that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? You know, you can sum up the Bible with this gospel acronym. And most every week, you know I go through it. And I go through it because you never know who might get saved on this particular day. But I go through it because my hope and goal and prayer is that you will eventually learn an easy way to share Jesus with other people too. And you can sum up the whole Bible this way. God created us to be in a relationship with him. We see that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. If you open up the Bible, you see God created us to be in relationship with him. But our sins separate us from God. I know I just used that word sin. It's not really popular this day and age, but it, it, it is the right word. A sin is a violation against God. A sin is missing God's perfect standard. And our sins separate us from God because God is perfectly pure and holy. So that's the G in gospel, and that's the O. So, sins cannot be removed by good works. No matter how good you are, you still need something to cover your sin. Most of the people in our world today, and maybe some of us, are still either adamantly or secretly trusting our good works to get us into heaven. But they're not good enough because you need perfection. God expects perfection. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. When he went to the cross, his blood took your place. His blood covered your sin. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. It is trusting in Jesus. It is not trusting in intellectual knowledge about Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus for salvation. Life that's eternal means being with Jesus forever. But you know what? You have Jesus' presence in your life right now. Jesus calls us to believe in him, but a little bit more than that. Jesus calls us to commit to him and to trust in him and to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. If you haven't done that, I encourage you that today is a day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow. We are never promised tomorrow. The Bible compares life to a vapor. You never know how long it's going to be. Trust in Jesus today. And by the way, trusting in Jesus is not just for eternal life. It's for life today. A spirit-filled life today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we do not live the Christian life alone. We live the Christian life by your Holy Spirit within us. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you that you have saved us. You have set us free. You died in our place. And you give us eternal life. Lord Jesus, we need your help imitating you. We need your help to have the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus, we need your help being full of grace and truth. We need the Holy Spirit to be unleashed, reigning within us. Lord God, help us to live that way. Help us all to imitate you. Help us to walk by the Holy Spirit. Help us to be full of grace and truth. And I pray these passages for all of the church, but also our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all of our descendants, that we would focus on imitating you, Jesus. Imitating you. And if there's people here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation, of confessing they are sinners in need of a Savior, of believing in you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. May we trust in you as Lord and Savior and commit to you. May we make you Lord of our life. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.